Take two. Cut. <laughs> Pretty much. Hello, fellas. Hello there. Today we have a very special guest, Jack Pinson. So, uh, Jack, introduce yourself. Uh, hello. Um, thanks for having me on, guys. It's great to listen to your podcast and now be asked to come on to it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a bowyer. That means I'm a bow maker. I, I live in County Clare. Uh, and uh, I make, mostly I make traditional and historical longbows. So, tell us a bit about that. Mm, well, I did an apprenticeship in longbow making. Uh, it took me about four and a half years to uh, study with my master, Don Adams, who trained me. He lived in Roscommon at the time, so I'd spend about a, well, a full day in his workshop every six weeks or so. And uh, he'd trained me in the next step of uh, whatever it was I needed to be learning at the time. Uh, and then eventually I was deemed eligible for a presentation uh, uh, to present some uh, work pieces to the guild members to be assessed uh, to see if they were of a correct standard to be granted a master di master level um, accolade I suppose yeah. yeah so I passed eventually second time around actually you can only present once a year in the, at the craft guild so I had to wait another year and go again uh, and I did pass it the second time around and then I was a year on probation, and then I was uh, a full, a fully fledged master of the guild of traditional bowyers and fletchers for our target longbows. That's what I ended up uh, getting qualified in so far. Yeah, not too bad. And uh, obviously, like you're really, really good at this. Like I've shot your bows before; they're great. But uh, it, like it's not easy to make these things. Like anyone knows if they tried to make a bow before. Oh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of challenges involved. Yeah, you make um, it explodes. Yeah, that's I've done. I do that all the time. You know, <laughs> I still do that. Not less less and less going forward as I as I learn more stuff. I'm, and I'm still always learning. I always have to add that add that caveat in there. Uh, but you know, uh, read read the timber. Learn, learn how the bows. Well, like learn the uh, the layout and and then shape them and carve them. So they're all. Uh, what I make is wooden bows. Uh, so they're either laminated in layers, glued together, or they're self bows, which means they're just one piece. And so they've they've each, each those two types are very different, uh, and you apply a different approach to making either a self bow or a laminate bow. Uh, so yeah, which do you prefer making? Well, I go through phases. Sometimes and what do you prefer shooting as well? Well, again, yeah. Um, I, I like I, my favorite bow to shoot is the one I've, the, whichever one I've just finished. If that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. I test it and I love it. It's like this is great. Oh my god, this is amazing! Wow, amazing! And then I'm always developing new little bits to add, add, you know, add niceness or add cast or a bit of interest and intrigue. So I've just been recently just, uh, gluing up uh, longbows with a recurve tip. A working recurve tip, and uh, just seeing how they come out and if they actually work. So, uh, a favourite bow to shoot? Well, depends what I've just finished. Uh, and so my archery skills suffer. That's my excuse for being a me a, a poor archer. <laughs> is that oh. I'm always changing equipment? <laughs> oh, it's it's really fun to shoot. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, Thomas Crow on on the most as our most recent guest before you. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah, great, great. Fun. Yeah, we're, we're talking about. Shooting with you, like just after 
And uh, yeah, no, it's a great crack shooting with Jay because obviously the bow changes every time, the arrows change every time, the arrows might not be the same. Yeah. And somehow you'll hit it. <laughs> well, you know, if I'm lucky, uh, it's all a guessing game. Imagine if what would happen if I actually practiced with the same same tackle all the time. I'd be flying it. Uh, didn't you place in the nationals uh, this year? Or oh, last year? I didn't. I didn't check. Um, uh, maybe because I'm in a historical category and there's fewer people in it. I don't know if it's down to my own merits though. Uh, <laughs> that picture of me and you on the internet, uh, you have a medal around your neck. So I think that's right. Was. Yeah, that was for that one for the for the event in Port Leash, I think. So um, yeah, I think I did all right in that one. Yeah. No, that, that was really good. I think yeah. it was for was, was it for the, But I also uh, won. But my but my proudest moment was shooting in the shoot off down in Wexford, uh, which was the one arrow competition actually, and I got I got a nine for uh, up the hill. I don't know if you remember that event last year in Wexford. I was only there for the second day on the Sunday and uh, yeah, it, did, it was a great day out shooting. I was out walking around, going around with your dad actually, Jared, and yeah. your sister. And uh, yeah, so uh, then I, we, we had the fun bit at the end uh, and uh, with the U self bow I'd been shooting all day. I just launched one of the one arrow in there and it, yeah, got a decent nine and it and I won the shoot off for that in that category, which was which I still my proudest medal so far. <laughs> that was a really good one. So, you, if you see that yeah. picture here, yeah, are you shooting one of yeah. his bows there? Yeah, we didn't shoot it. Like, obviously, that'd be dangerous. No, no, but, no. Uh, like, we were yeah. posing for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, what you have there is in the background. I um, this is a picture that we can look up. Um, I, we can direct listeners to look up. Actually, I expect um, in the background is a is a boxwood self bow made out of yeah. So that's uh, European box. Or boxes is a Latin name for it, and it's a characterful thing. It's got lumps and twists in the grain, cracks oh, down the belly stuff. of it. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's the hardest and densest native European timber, and it's very rare that you find it in long straight pieces. Now, straight is actually like well, it's not really straight, but you know, straight enough to make a bow with. Uh, yeah. So it's rare and hard and strong and really tough. And that bow there is, 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 has been had been with me for a long time. It's since sold actually to. Uh, one of the archers from that club, as it happens, um, from where okay. we're taking the picture. And uh, he, yeah, the new owner is, uh, is uh, he knew what he was taking on, and he's taken on like a very unique, special bow with that one. Now, the bow in the, in the foreground, which um, uh, you're shooting there, Jared, is a U self bow, which means it's one piece of U. It's got antler knocks on it, and the knocks are side knocks, which means the, the, the groove that holds the string in place at the tip is, uh, is only in one side. Uh, and it's in the opposite side on the bottom limb to on the top limb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a, a historical method of making a bow, as we see from the Mary Rose longbows mostly. Uh, probably. Always add the probably in just in case we got it wrong. So <laughs> I say we. It's talking about archaeologists uh, interpreting uh, uh, artifacts, really, isn't it? That's what it is in this case. Yeah. So yeah. How come in that that bow I have there? Hmm. You see, like, uh, uh, just say that last sentence again because I missed that. So, ask. see the one I'm shooting there. Uh, yeah. You know, like, the part facing towards me is uh, brown, and then the part facing outwards is a lighter color. What yeah, would that so, be? That's correct. Yeah, that's um, that's what you uh, what I would incorporate into a U self bow would be the heartwood and the sapwood. So it would be the pale color is on the back of the bow, away from the archer. If you can imagine that, it's uh, it's a pale yeah. kind of creamy color. Uh, and it and it's the sapwood, so that's closer to the bark, 
not you know, I might have the bark just above it or a few layers above, depending on how much sapwood was on the stave. And if I had to reduce a few layers of sapwood down to one growth ring. And then the red orange color is the heartwood of the tree. Now in you, it's very, uh, very well defined, the difference between the two, usually. And uh, uh, the reason you, uh, I would leave both on the stave and, in, and therefore in the bow as well, is that the theory goes that the sapwood has a high tensile strength, which means it can stretch more readily and, and come back into shape again. And that's why you put it on the outside curve of the bow. And the heartwood has very high compressive strength, and that's what give the, gives the bow power. It means it can be um, pressed together, you know, in a sort of microscopic fiber level, uh, and then spring back again. So the two together complement each other. The sapwood protects the heartwood from shattering and gives it cast, and the heartwood gives the bow power and cast as well uh, in compression. Uh, so if you can imagine a bow, a cross section of a bow, and in, in, in this case a long bow, where it's a flat back and a curved belly, like a capital D, or if you like, it's plano convex is the technical term for it. Uh, there's a neutral plane somewhere somewhere in the center of it. It's a theoretical point where there's no uh, tension and no compression. Now there will be bending, but there, uh, there's no tension or compression. So uh, the further away from the neutral plane uh, any part of the bow gets, the more tension or compression it gets, depending if it's in the outside, away from the archer on the back of the bow, or if it's on the inside by the belly. Um, I hope that uh, sums it up in a nutshell for you guys. Jeez, and to no, think I failed it. woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, that really surprised me as well. There, that's really, really technical. Well, it is. And I hope I've like described just... it in a way that can be understood uh, readily enough. If if not, ask me another way, and I'll try and find a way to explain it. Like when it comes down to the extreme basics of it, it's a stick and a string. But yeah, and that's it, and that that's, still works. That's so beautiful about it. Yeah, well, I guess if you're going to go full uh, sort of paleo uh, archery, then you've got to figure out how to make a string, and then you've got to figure out how to make that string strong enough to be able to withstand the strength of the bow when it's being shot. Uh, and so, yeah, there's if you, if you haven't got one or the other, it's, not, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's the combination, um, which is amazing, yeah. So you also make uh, bundle bows, so... Oh yeah, you, you told me about those before. They're really cool to mess around with. Uh, yeah, they're, they're yeah, they're just they are my take on. Uh, well, the bundle bow in itself is a is a basically a, is a very basic, um, again prehistoric onwards kind of bow. Up, please. Sorry, what was, what was it? You look up bundle bow. Yeah, that'll, that'll, oh, sorry, my bad. And it'll be. Um, uh, a series of laths, uh, usually just like hazel sticks or bamboo sticks, bound together in, in at, at intervals, and you can make them really big, you can make them chunky, or you can make smaller versions. If, and I, I make a junior up, version. Yeah. If you look at bundle bows, you're the first one to come up. Excellent. Well, look, there they are. That's really good. <laughs> that's so look up, I didn't even mean to click into that one. Actually, that's bamboo that's really bundle bow. That's the name of it. <laughs> that's sick. Hey, man. look. That's, uh, so that's my um, two, uh, so the reason you do it uh, in, at all is to achieve a taper, or at least the effect of a taper as you bend the bow. Imagine you're bending the bow from the handle; the two limbs are going up and down as you as you're holding it, and then uh, you put the arrow on the string and draw it back to where you're, you're knocking your anchor point and release. So what happens is if you didn't have any taper, a sort of a stronger section in the middle and a less strong section out towards the tips, the bend would be only in the center. Uh, so to, to spread the, the bend out over the limbs, you need to create some kind of taper. And so uh, the, 
the sort of the really most fundamental and easy way to do that is to bind sticks together. And and this is my refi slightly refined version of that very basic bow concept. Jeez, and, and they're only small. That, that, that they're is really, really cool. And they're, for, they're aimed at teachers, um, <laughs> young, young folk to sort of start them at archery. And uh, they, the, the arrows that, that come with them get two arrows and a bow, and it's 25 euro for the set, 10 euro shipping, that kind of thing, if, because it's long. Uh, but the arrows I make with them are made of dowel and duct tape. And my, my, my idea really is that I can like show that to people. Uh, and they can buy them with the bow, or they can buy extra ones, or whatever. You know, if I'm at a market or something uh, outside of quarantine, um, th uh, then they can also they take two away with them as part of the set, and they can go and make them themselves. The idea yeah. is that you can start someone's making something and get interested in sort of a little bit of craft work, maybe to progress it further. So, um, and anyway, two hours is never enough, right, Jared? That's very true. <laughs> you need at least three. <laughs> at it least takes way more. Maybe more like thirty if you can help it. Yeah, yeah. I've got. A whole, I do them in colours and sets and stuff. But you know, people can make them themselves out of whatever I tape. Just to uh, say, with the uh, yeah. go on, sorry. Yeah, duct tape and dowel is what they're made out of. Duct tape so, and dowel. Yeah, they're it only two. Very, looks very simple looking, but yeah, it looks very beautiful and then looks very functional at the same time. They are all of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, they do. You can apply to a bamboo bundle bow that I make here uh, the same principles as you would to a full-size longbow. So, yeah. like safe shooting, never pointed at people or animals. That idea. Um, you can use cardboard boxes for targets. That's what I say to people. It works very well. And uh, you you need to look after it and stop it getting damp, stop it getting dried out too much. You know, keep it oiled and keep it looked after. And then you can also practice bracing and unbracing the bow the same way you would for a, a like the push-pull method for a longbow. So it, yeah. it's just a smaller version, it's more accessible to, to smaller people. So that's what I have in mind uh, when I when I sell these and when I talk to people about them. Well, and I've also the got the world record in making them for the, I made, I've made, uh, uh, <laughs> what is it, uh, 16 in, four, in five, and, and the arrows to go with them in five hours. Huh. Well... <laughs> That's a secret now that I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. <laughs> That's really, really good. Yeah, well, I think but I might have beaten it now, but uh, I think, but yeah, it's like the, I've got a method for making them anyway. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Yes. They're they're like really, really cheap. Actually, like if if you look up cheap bows, like you'll find like really crappy things you might find on Wish. They're basically toys. Mm. Uh, but no, something like that is proper. Definitely the cheapest bow you can buy in Ireland. Uh, oh yeah. This Arguably in Europe and this made by me on in my workshop. Euro. Is, and I bet it's made this look any good now? I was. I'm looking at that thing right now. That's. It won't be fifty pounds. Number one. Mm. Any bow that's twenty four quid is going to explode the second you touch it. This <laughs> or it's a, a display set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it will uh, be dangerous. Uh, like, obviously, like really you, get what you, you get what you pay for normally. Especially if it's from Wish, it's going to be really bad. It'll explode. Yeah, but like, that's the whole thing with Wish, though, is that they're always... Wish is, you know, it's shoddy kind of... Yeah. Scammy kind of website, isn't it? Like, I've never bought... Have you ever bought anything off Wish? I don't think I ever have. Not for archery, but for, for Jack's bows, Jack sells the cheapest bow I know outside of... Uh, who are they called again? Uh, Bearpaw. They have a bow that's like... 49 quid or 50 something quid 
So uh, yeah, look, yeah. Look at that. They're all. They're all Jack. Which in America aren't they? Uh, oh wait, is it a German bear paw? You mean? They're there's, German, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's a there's there's an American one as well, I think. Or maybe that's bear archery. I'm getting confused. Yeah. Um, and now, what do you get for fifty euro? Now, let's see. What could I match that with my own products? Um, yeah, I don't know. It just depends, doesn't it? Like uh, you, you get what you pay for. Now, what you what you get. So if I'm if I'm looking to to make a bow for somebody and someone's ordering a bow, I need to find out their draw length, their draw weight, and uh, and what sort of st type and style they're looking for. If they want a self bow, they want a, a, a target bow laminate bows or yeah or uh, or a war bow or something else you know there's lots of different categories and yeah. uh, just some basic uh, information and then i can cut they, they can be customized as well speaking of uh, war bows <laughs> some one of the most <laughs> oh, yeah. things I've seen at, at a competition uh, was you pulling back uh, was a 150 pound bow well that no, no not one quite else that could much, pull no. back no i can do uh, i have a i have a 110 pounder um, ah. which which is which is not quite as impressive but still pretty high <laughs> no there is um there's people out there who can shoot over over the 200 pound draw draw weight joe gibbs being one of them um but uh, my 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 limit is sort of in the uh, 80 90 pound range really to be able to draw at the moment um 110 is a little I, I bit shoot 38 38 yeah but that's a recurve as well um, so they hold power differently. They feel different when you have them drawn back to full draw. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, but you know, um, you can train up. We'll get you trained up, eh? Into into full, into full <laughs> step through shoot, step in method. Joe Gibbs. You just mentioned shoot. there, Joe Gibbs, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a mighty fella, and he's a member of the Craft Guild as well. And you'll see him in uh, various videos on YouTube and other places, and uh, especially doing some work with uh, Todd of Todd's Workshop. Um, recently, which is some great armor piercing uh, tests, which they were trying, they were, they were doing with war bows, medieval arrows or replica arrows, and uh, a medieval replica breastplate made in the same way, differential uh, thickness, and uh, and then we're looking for penetration power, so that's a good one to look up for anyone. But as he does a lot of stuff, and he's uh, and he's a war bow specialist, and um, and heavy heavy bow shooter as as are some other people in the uk and um, especially in the uk and netherlands as well and, and i think a few over here in ireland in, in the uk they've obviously a rich history with the, with the longbow because pretty sure they invented it mm, well yeah the welsh actually for this in this iteration well, if you, but it wasn't uk at the time <laughs> it was uh, various princetons in wales well when was it made well uh the it was it was first brought into a as used as, uh, in its form as a military weapon in, by Edward the First in was that the, the twelve forties no, twelve to thirteen hundred or something like that. Like, anyway, look up Edward the First's uh, reign and then you'll get the dates for that. But he saw the potential of the Welsh archers when he went to annex Wales and fight them. And ended up ended up winning, but not through yeah through building castles and occupying places. Um, he saw the potential of these Welsh archers shooting witch elm, probably witch elm uh, tree trunks. Effectively, uh, they were bows, but they they were big. Yeah, and uh, and he basically used that technology or and and multiplied it uh, to kind of encourage an, a culture where the war bow was adopted by 
the gen yeah the general populace of um, the shires of England, and then that sort of spread to Gascony and Aquitaine and the other territories uh, at the time of the uh, well yeah maybe not Aquitaine anyway different times different eras it spread and became culturally accepted as a thing to be to be doing uh, so every English able-bodied Englishman at different times you know had to had to do had to shoot at the butts to practice um, and you'll see remnants of that in England especially where there'll be butts lane for example and that will be where the uh, you know various villages around the middle and the south of England will have uh, names like that and they'll be all uh, the old areas where the shooting used to happen. And there was a uh, fishery field practice happening in London as well. You, you'd there be is good a... to have good aim, wouldn't you? To be like, because <laughs> imagine you UK. must have listened to that. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're heavy, they're heavy, heavy, heavy bows as well. Exactly. <laughs> There's a law in York that is still uh, still legally binding, but obviously not enforced. All males over the age of 14 are required to practice longbow for at least two hours per week. In York. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in York. Okay, I wonder why it stayed in York. Is it like a uh, must be on the statutes of the town, uh, the charter of the town or something like that, or the city? Um, oh, yeah. Nice? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, apparently, it's legal to shoot someone with a bow and arrow in Scotland. Is, that true? is it true, though? Or is it that they have to be facing away from you or something or facing the border? I don't know. No, I don't know if these, like, it's on the statute books from uh, various case law issues in, uh, in the 13 and 1400s. And they just stayed there. To... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, that was it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So apparently, you can shoot a Welshman after midnight with a bow and arrow. Is it true? Yeah, I know, right? Is it true though? Imagine if you tried it, tried to do it now. Would it? What would happen? Do you think? I mean, oh, that was two thousand three. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's seventeen years when they've had one too many people that were bowed to death. They were like, maybe we got to change this law. Yeah, no. uh, one is too many. Is it? Oh, well, yeah. Well, maybe not. <laughs> Here's the law with the Scotsman. Yeah, there's lots of things that are strange and funny like that. Um, that are, that's the way the law system works. It, it, that you know, precedent law system works, where something's tested, judge says yes, uh, and then it stays in law until there's another test case to over, overturn it. So that hasn't mm. been overturned yet because it's just so crazy. I mean, I guess it happened once, and the, the, the judge's buddy got like he, the judge got him off by saying it's legal suddenly. You know that kind of thing, probably, yeah. possibly. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it, there's a lot of that sort of uh, law hangover, especially around archery, actually, and yeah, and and other kind of strange sports from the medieval era. Mm. Uh, yeah, so warbows, they, they to be a warbow, it needs to be a full compass bow, which means it bends all the way through the center of the handle. There's no stiffer section in the center, so it's a full compass bow. Comes compass at full draw, and it needs to be uh, well. At least seventy pounds, probably more like a minimum eighty pounds draw weight. Most of the time now, it's sort of a hundred plus, really, to be considered a proper war bow, and a uh, hundred pounds draw weight at thirty inches draw length, or whatever the archer's draw length is, really. So, um, the, yeah, and, and preferably it should be made out of yew or witch elm, but other I, other white woods would be acceptable as well, or laburnum. Um, yes, they're they're quite amazing things if you think about the amount of power that is in them, and they stay together as you shoot them. Yeah. And they're designed to shoot a really heavy arrow a long distance, and hopefully, maybe penetrate plate armor. 
Maybe not, depending on the arrowhead. Um, so yeah, that's the purpose. You know, they're for military application. So they're for you, you, for putting out several thousand archers in in an area to just rain down arrows in on mass yeah. on the enemy. Uh, that's how they were used to most effect during the Hundred Years' War between thirteen thirties and uh, and uh, the fourteen fifties. Uh, England fighting the French in France. Yeah. So um, that they yeah, that, that was France, didn't they? Well, yeah, um, they had a, well. There was a claim to the throne on France because of the, the lineage of the king of uh, the various kings, Edward III being the first one who prosecuted that war, and it carried on through various kings till uh, Henry VI, I believe, with a regency in between. Uh, I'd have to look up my Hundred Years' War history again to get all those things, all those dates. But my favourite is Henry V, um, who was. Uh, who was famous for the Battle of, of Agincourt, of course. Uh, he was only two years on the throne by that stage, and then he'd launched his uh, assault into into uh, uh, what, Normandy, yeah. Battle of Agincourt, yes. Um, I went to the uh, to the uh, 600th anniversary of the Battle of Agincourt in, in, in Agincourt as as a as a medieval uh living history representative kind of person reenactor re and do you know what though we had the best we had an amazing shoot with about 200 archers shooting longbows in three lines we were shooting blunts so we were like three lines one behind the other kind of thing staggered and we yeah. were shooting whatever bows people could manage and brought with them and there was a bunch of french knights in armor at long range you know, was it's something a, to aim for. Was any of these you, man? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was probably on taking a picture. <laughs> no, um, I, I didn't fight in the battle. I had a stall. I had to stay on the stall. Uh, but I did take part in what was called the Big Shoot. Yeah, that's the event. If you look at that, the, the reenactment 600th anniversary of the Battle of Angkor, and then the Big Shoot element of that, I was uh, I was in that. Um, okay. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. What really got me was the sort of the sound of all those arrows loosing all together to... to the sort of swishing and then the the sort of weird kind of feeling of these arrows like launching up not just from where you are you know what it's like when jared when you're shooting the bow and the arrow goes flies off you've but yeah. you've got at the same time you've got another 300 arrows or shooting from either side of you and above you and behind you and and in front kind of you like a cloud shoot yeah it was a cloud now you can see in the in the picture there that the those are the and all the spent arrows are on the ground in front of a bunch of knights well, there's only about eight of them what was it uh, yeah, nine or ten guys in armour with their shields on. Mm. And uh, all those arrows, there's a, a whole carpet of arrows all lying on the ground. Yeah. Now, if you can, you can imagine that multiplied out a few hundred times, up to about, estimates vary, but like maybe 4,000 archers on the field, maybe 6,000, maybe something, or two. There's estimates vary between about like four, three or 4,000 to sort of 8,000 archers, but depending on the historian you look at. But that's a lot of arrows. And imagine they're shooting those maybe ten, at least 10 a minute for a while, for a short period of time. You can do the arithmetic, figure that out. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy amounts of arrows, and they're all flying into a bunch of French armoured um, armored soldiers on foot. Men-at-arms and Which also... Kind of sucks uh, yeah, it does. And that sucks for them, yeah. <laughs> really what it did was force the French to close their visors. And then they couldn't see very well in front of them. 
uh, if they hadn't had the arrow storm, they would have they could have marched forward with, in good order with the with their visors open. But um, well, obviously the arrows are causing all sorts of havoc, but they're not necessarily penetrating the armor. The armor's pretty good at this point. Uh, and some of them, yeah, they'd be getting in gaps and knocking people down, and the impact of a of a of a heavy arrow coming at you, either at falling at terminal velocity at long range, or or being launched with the power of the bow, uh, still behind it at sort of shorter ranges, it's going to be enough to knock you back. And especially since these guys, these French um, men at arms, were marching, approaching the English line uh, through about. 18 inches of a thick, heavy clay ploughed soil. So 18 inch plough, like a winter wheat sowing plough, apparently, which uh, which is like ankle, maybe eight, 18 inches, a bit of an overstretch. But still, it's a deep plough and it's sodden with wet, uh, ser serious rain for the last uh, uh, at least two days of solid rain. Uh, so they're just marching through this mud. There's some pictures on the web that show it. There's a nice grassy field, but uh, if, it was, if that's Agincourt, that's not right. <laughs> it was a mucky, disgusting, wet, grim slope they were marching up and getting compressed because the uh, English line was narrower than the original French line from where they started from. So they were getting pressed. A lot, most of the, a lot of the uh, ev um, archaeological evidence from the grave pits from Agincourt uh, display uh, damage to skeletons, skeletal remains from cr crush, crush injuries. So like um, fractures from crushes in, in the bone in the in the bones, and so it's basically they just got they they all marched over each other, which is grim because you're being drowned you're being drowned in mud, and you're being walked over by your compatriots who are trying to get to the front. Now the reason the part there's many reasons um, why they were some of the French were so eager to get to the front line to capture the king or the king's brother the Duke of Gloucester or the or the other high-ranking dukes and nobles of England to capture them and to get their ransom, basically. Uh, that was some of the some of the posses were of the French uh, were eager to get get to the front line to to capture um, nobility, and then others were uh, shying away from the arrow storm, which was thought to have been out on the wings, shooting into the sides of the French as they started to come closer, and so then that broke up the French formation more, and then. What else? They 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 were you know were trying to get inside the range of the archers so that they could engage them hand to hand as well. So there was like many different reasons to sort of press forward, and they all, and a bunch of them most noticeably loads of them just got destroyed by the conditions and the aristor. Yeah, not a fun time. Um, uh, no. You know, like today we would collect our arrows after shooting, even with a cloud shoot. Yeah. Do you know, like, yeah. did they still do that back then? Like, I don't know, after the battle or whatever? Well, actually, because an example of where that did happen to an extent, uh, one of the chroniclers writes about the archers running out into the field after the first French uh, battle, battle, uh, battle group was, uh, um, was, was uh, sent back again or, or retreated. Uh, they picked up as many arrows as they could, but uh, there was never enough. Uh, the, the idea was that the, um, the baggage train brought with it enough as many arrows as they could possibly stockpile there was a hot this is the thing the the, the medieval system for um weaponry and uh, uh arrows in particular actually um was to um get they were made in across across england up and down the country and everywhere 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 there was a territory that uh, they could that the feudal lords could call on and there'd be um 
<laughs> they'd be bringing in arrows from all the shires and there'd be workshops full of people, full of guys actually making different elements of the arrow shaft. And they were being pulled and brought to the like county towns and then sent from there on to, the, to London or Plymouth or Southampton, basically the port towns. Uh, where they were going to be shipped, uh, stockpiled for as many years as necessary. So like Agincourt took about two years to, to build up for. Uh, Henry V uh, was planning close to the beginning of his reign to march into France. And uh, they, so they were stored at the Tower of London. They were stored in, um, on, 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 on mass scale. Um, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to think of the numbers of arrows that were being stored and kept at any time. So, um, and bows as well, actually. But with the arrows, obviously, you can shoot hundreds of arrows out of each bow. So you need that kind of, well, thousands, actually, over the lifespan of a bow, perhaps. Uh, so uh, you need mul many, many times the amount of arrows to do bows. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, there was a whole sort of industry, like multi-layered industry around arrow production. And there was, and then on campaign, they were brought on carts, uh, uh, in Agincourt anyway, or wagons and different campaigns, you know, bigger ox-drawn wagons, a slower-moving thing. Um, but uh, the, the horse-drawn carts were used for Agincourt because they were looking to Henry V was fifth was looking to be mobile and quick, uh, and make a little dash to cut from Harfleur, which is the modern-day Le Havre, to Calais, and he had to cross the Somme, and the, uh, the, which was one of the biggest uh, biggest stumbling blocks that he had. But he had, he kept his baggage train light so he could. But so they ran out of arrows, and they had to go foraging for more. Uh, uh, but anyway, the archers, they, they, they acquitted themselves. Well, the account is, is that the archers did the damage, but there's also lots to be said for the conditions and also the men at arms who didn't break. You know, didn't, they were about 900 or 1,000 of them and they just held the line, uh, which, which is yeah, not to be sneered at. I've worn armour, so I know what it's like as well. <laughs> <laughs> I've fought in armour, I should say, yeah. I should yeah. mention, uh, for anyone listening, uh, D yeah, Dara's not here today. <laughs> just oh, did we just... Didn't... We didn't mention that at all, Jared. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, Dara was busy. Yeah, Dara was very busy. But it's okay, we forgive him. Yeah, he fell asleep. Uh, he fell asleep. He's <laughs> probably not yeah. supposed to say that, hey. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't care. <laughs> He's got what he deserves. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, um, that, that's, that was, so listening to... Um, your podcast in the, in the past is like, yeah, there's been three of you and then a guest as well. So that uh, clears it up for anyone listening. He, he was asleep. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I've been, I've, I missed one of our guests as well. One of our friends, uh, Phantom, was on. Oh. I was, and yeah, I was busy. So, you know, we're, we're all... I haven't listened to you, all you guys yet. I need to catch up on some other ones yet. Oh, man, okay. Very interesting one is the Dino, Dino Chicken one. Yeah. Dino. I did a lot of research for that one. That's a fun one. <laughs> I'll look it up. That, I, I've only listened to episode one and two so far, so give us a minute. <laughs> that, that and the, the food episode is one of my favourites. I just think that's a fun yeah. one. Ah, yeah. But obviously, I'm going to have like more archery guests on because I do I, archery. <laughs> you're, you're a good artist, I've got to say. You've got some good, good medals under your, under your belt, I'd say. Sound. Yeah. yeah, are you going to pursue that further? And are you, are you keeping? How are you practicing at the moment? Um, at the moment, I don't do much. I, I, I get moments of motivation, and then I lose it. So mm, it can be tough. Easily done. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only shoot in my back garden, really, so it's a bit tough. 
That's kind of limiting that way, yeah. Can you make some fun targets, like moving targets and stuff like that, if you've got the space? No, because remember, we're in a state, like we'd have our neighbours right beside us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Could be, yeah, you got to keep it safe. Fair enough. But, uh, no, last year was a big year for me, and uh, I was hoping this year would be as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Sad not. <laughs> no, no, clearly, yeah. But I'll be but, saying um, up for a few trips next year. Yeah, so you do a bit of international, some international shoots. Definitely, yeah. Nice one. Yeah. Any more to the US? You were there last year, I believe. Yeah, uh, that that's my biggest one so far. The US became yeah, world champion nice. there, so I was very happy. But yeah, uh, that's pretty sweet. Not to the US anytime soon, but I, I've been talking to people. Like, I haven't, I haven't spoken to you since you since you got there. Hmm. Well, it's been a while, yeah. Because yeah. we've just been. Because we've just been there. I missed a bunch of shoots towards the end of last season. And then uh, there obviously haven't been any this season. I was looking forward to them. And yeah, the first one up in leash I was going to go to. And then I just, it all stopped. It must uh, affect you both really badly. Because you, 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 Jared, I know for definite, you would you would be out practicing a lot with archery and stuff. And now, sure, all you can use is your backyard kind of thing. Yeah. So has it, has it affected you a lot, Jack, kind of, as well as in that re- respect that you can't really leave the house? Yeah, uh, from... From the work point of view, um, a lot of people like uh, archers who are really serious about uh, about shooting want to shoot a bow before they buy it. it generally, yeah. you know, they shoot, unless you've got like absolute guarantees of what it's like, or you've shot almost the identical one. It doesn't really apply to wooden bows. It might you know, to your recurves and uh, and compounds. You can buy something off the shelf, you know, because it's factory yeah. made. But uh, with something that's handmade, you you really wanna at least uh, you can buy something basic and that's fine you know off the web or whatever um and that's okay but if you if you if you want to really get to get get really uh, practice with a bit of equipment you need to shoot it before you buy it well need to well that's a bit of a stretch you can you can do you can learn you to go. but it's a good idea to shoot to shoot it before you buy if you possibly can um so that's what a lot a lot of people would shoot uh at the at various archery shoots around the country, um, bows of mine, and uh, and decide whether they wanted them or not based on how they felt when they shot them, and that happened. That was that was and that was good. It's great when people go, yeah, I'll have that one, or maybe they come back a month or three later, having thought about it in the meantime, and say, oh, do you still have that one that we, that I shot that time, you know? And it's like, yeah, here it is, or no, I have another one that's similar, or I'll I can get working on one though, you know, that kind of thing, or whatever. Yeah. And, and they go great. Okay, I have the I have the money. I have the money now, or something like that. Or I've been saving for this one, or something. Or they might give me a deposit at some point, and I'll make something. Yeah, or make something specific, or save something for them. Of course. So, so that isn't happening now, and that's the impact it's having on me. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, impact as well as I, I like going to the shoots and seeing everybody and chatting and going seeing how okay. well I can shoot myself. One, one one thing Jack is great at is uh, convincing you. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose made for you, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of job. So I'm Keep good at doing that face to face with people. Yeah. I, well, not. Yeah. Good. I mean, I'm, so it's mainly because I do actually believe in the products that I make, and I also They're really good. like to see someone with something good and a good piece of equipment. And if and if something happens, I I, I have a yeah, various guarantee sort of levels of stuff, and I, yeah. um, I endeavour to fix things that go wrong and and usually they don't some occasionally they might so uh the the, the bonus of having me in the country nearby in our in ireland is that you can i'm here and you can talk to me kind of thing you know Where, whereas if you're buying something 
from a, a different place, it's a, it's that little bit extra remove, isn't it? And it's, it's a less personal in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to um, flaunt my business too much here, but you know. No, no, we want you to, man. We want you. Oh, to, okay, we want great. you to do well in life, you know. Yeah. And this is here, Thomas. This is the Falcon Nine launch now. This is happening. Oh, is like, nice? This is the first time people have been in space in. I don't know how long they've been doing a mission, but it's going to be visible from Ireland at around 10 to 10. If if Ooh, exciting. Exactly, yeah. And they're launching around 20 minutes, so we'll keep an eye out for that. I just wanted to yeah, put it up there, you know? That's all. It's good to be able to see that at the same time. Keep it on uh, standby so we can look at that when it happens. Of course, yeah. I was actually thinking about watching that, and then I, I forgot which day it was on. That's what happens <laughs> when you're locked down. <laughs> and like, like with earlier, I, I was late to this podcast, to the recording with you guys, because I was in the workshop <laughs> uh, with well, my okay. phone. Well, well, my phone, I don't get good internet coverage when I'm in the workshop. Uh, it's out of Wi-Fi range, whatever, and uh, no, no, no data signal. So I just lose track of time and messages. So what I was doing was just making uh, some handles for a draw knife, a little baby draw knife, and it's the little small one that I usually use for removing the sapwood on a U stave to bring the bring out the growth ring that I want. So I was, I've just got new handles on it now, and it's like really. I'm holding it in my hands now. It's really secure and strong. It's not wobbling and rackly old handles like I used to have. But so it's a proper make... old school forged blacksmith forged little tiny small draw knife. It's about five in six inches on the blade, and then a bit longer with the handles. Would you so make the handles for all your weapons then, like for axes and hatches and stuff? I have like done as uh, only as necessary. But yes, yeah. I do. I've got um, axe. I've, I've hafted axes and uh, files. Actually, files all the time because you know you buy a new file. They usually come without a handle if they're you know sometimes. And uh, yeah, I use corks. Yes, yeah, yeah ones are just break. Um, uh, yeah, so I've got a lathe in the workshop there, and I can just turn a handle, or I can just run it up on the belt sander as well. You know, depending on what sort of spec I want. Um, but I've made these. This one, a draw knife, is a little. It's a blade with two handles either side that usually curve towards the user, and you could use the, the draw knife with two hands. Uh, usually on a or well, has to be on a clamped or stable workpiece. Uh, yeah, so they're really useful for bow making. I use them all the time. Uh, there's a few other tools that are like, yeah, that I use all the time. So like a little block plane if you want them. Um, a side axe doing self bows for chopping out a bow from uh, chopping out a bow, a big chunky piece of wood, uh, split from a stave. Uh, I'd use a side axe then to shape it down. And a side axe is a is, an, is a sharp axe with a, a single bevel, which means it's got an angle on one side and a flat face on the other. Uh, and the angles, yeah. So and they use it in a certain way. So if uh, if anyone's ever and uh, an event and wants to see demonstrated, I can show people. So uh, side axe. It's a, and it's a, it's a bit of a skill. It's tricky. You know, there's a there's a technique to it that works. And then it's also you got to stand in a certain way so you don't. If you come off, you don't do. You come off the uh, the workpiece and glance off. It doesn't do anything dangerous. Mm. But the sharper the tools are, the safer they are, in my opinion. Well, yeah, that's fair. Uh, you do classes uh, on how to make bows and all that, don't you? I do, upon occasion, when requested, yes. Um, uh, so, so if I, I who've, who've never yeah. had any experience in bow making, would, by the end of your class, I should be able to make some form of bow. Or have made it already, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, or, or, or nearly, or go away with the knowledge of how to finish it having made the majority of the bow, yeah. Yeah, so I, I teach longbow making. Um, yeah, uh, and, and 
I provide staves that are laminated, two-piece laminated staves, really. I've, I used to do self-bow making, but I found that there were it's a little bit more involved and difficult because you've got to follow the grain. That's something a bit more advanced. So I, uh, I provide a two-piece laminated stave for a workshop, and I could teach several people at a time, up to like eight or ten people at a, at a go. And for like, usually I sort of aim it at like a weekend, a weekend workshop where you'd have six or eight people with shaving horses, draw knives, and other tools, uh, and then just basically launch into l l marking out the bow using a certain uh, set of uh, measurements and then first off you draw a knife shaving it down with the draw knife and a, and a shaving horse and uh, I've got enough shaving horses to for a, for a whole class of people which is sort of like a workbench where you can clamp the workpiece with your legs and a sort of a pivot system uh, you can look up shaving horses at some point and uh, see what they look like um, yeah but I've got a herd of about nine at the moment okay. and uh, they're very useful yeah. Uh, so that. So yeah. You come come along to a class. Make a uh, make a bow. I can also do it uh, on in the workshop at my place. Um, it's a different sort of okay. uh, cost per day kind of thing. But uh, uh, how yeah. how much would you usually charge for that then? Just for the for the class. Ah well. Um, if if someone's booking, if there's a bunch of uh, maybe eight eight or ten people, and I have a, or it's all it's arranged maybe like through an archery club or through uh, um, the weekend in the hills event, which I do. Um, run by Kelt. Uh, they're usually like around a hundred, between 130 to 230 euro, depending on if you've got like all your meals included or not. You know, depending on how okay. whoever's organising the. I, I'm I'm I, I sort of come in as the tutor. I get I, I get I take a booking from someone who's organising it to uh, yeah, to, and 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 I'm and I bring all my tools, equipment, materials, and knowledge to achieve the result and then maybe someone else usually takes on the administration uh maybe an archery committee club committee member or something like that a lot of the time yeah uh, and so yeah book, book me when yeah find phone me or email so, me for availability so hypothetically we'll figure it out if if hmm. you had just say three lads who did a podcast for a bunch of laughs you know and decided to record themselves trying yeah. to make bows <laughs> yeah, you take hilarious. that on stride. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Let's do it, guys. Oh, yeah, man. Definitely. We'll just uh, film, record your everything that as we uh, go through the process of making a bow, and then I'll leave it up to someone else to edit it as well. Isn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. Look, uh, if, if there's an interest there. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about that uh, in the past, weren't we? Yeah, um, still, still an option once uh, we have the freedom of movement again. Uh, yeah. If we have, if we ever do, God, you know, we can't assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, let's. I did. I did run a um, the the Leech Archers hosted me for a bow making course back in I think it was October or November last year. That was great. I had uh, eight people in the course and. Some of them got to shoot their bows at the end, and some of them got to nearly shoot their bows. Uh, yeah, so um, hopefully I'll be, I'll be, I'd love to run more of those. It's great fun. It's a, it's definitely, it's definitely not. I definitely feel like I know I've done it afterwards. You know, the sort of the focus that I need to give to people on the course to make sure they get the results they want and need, and the information and the tension they need to carry on is like, yeah, I, I, uh, I always come out of those workshops feeling achievement, but also like pretty well tired out you know 
Yes, so Kelt is, uh, is I, I teach bow making, a long bow making course for, for Kelt, which is the Centre for Environmental Living and Training. Uh, and it's an environmental charity who run, a, one of the things they do is run a, an event called The Weekend in the Hills. And it's hosted at the Slivochty Riding Centre. And uh, there's other craft workshops that happen alongside it. So we usually run two times a year. The, the May one this year has obviously been cancelled. Uh, hopefully September will go ahead. We'll see. Um, and on yeah, so you, on their website you can see there's a, a longbow section, and you can book into a course there. Once that goes live again, once there's a bit more information on what we can and can't do regarding meeting up with groups. But in, the, in if you look at Kelt, at the longbow making course and the Kelt website, which is keltnet.org, you can see uh, pictures of shaving horses and bow stays and people working away, making working on their project for the weekend. It's a nice thing. It's a nice event, and there's lots of people go to it. Um, and uh, you've got a sort of a social element in the evenings as well. It's quite nice. So that's uh, that's a good a good a good event. Ah, yeah. And it's also a lot of focus because everyone realizes they've only got like uh, a few hours in in the, each day. You know, like five or six hours in the day, well, depending how the course is set up and when people arrive and stuff. But. Uh, um, yeah, and then they've got this, this chunky piece of timber to sh change, to find the bow inside, if that makes any sense. <laughs> There's a bow in there somewhere, you've just got to reveal it, that kind of idea. <laughs> I've, I've heard that by so many bow makers before. There's, there's yeah, a follow it, called Organic Archer, and he says that all the time. It's definitely like that, especially with self bows. And I'll get, yeah, they, I, I follow him on uh, Instagram as well, as I think. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, the bow's inside there somewhere, but you've got to bring it out. And it's, the reason you say that, well, part of the reason you say that is that uh, with self bows in particular, is that you've got to read the grain and use the grain to your advantage and not weaken the bow too much by cutting through too many layers of growth rings and, and grain, especially around things like faults or peculiarities in the timber, like knots or shapes yeah, yeah. or uh, yeah, character. So you've got to leave additional material around what would otherwise be a weak point. Uh, and so you're you're drawing the shape of the bow out of the chunk of timber. Yeah, it's it's a concept that really kind of works when you, especially when you get launched into doing it. You can really sort of understand uh, why people would use that as terminology to describe how to make a bow. I don't want to update. Awesome. Yeah, so, no, so, yeah, so questions, go ahead, yeah. Uh, you did something with uh, Jim Gavin before. Oh, yeah, uh, that was back in Jan. So tell us all about that. Uh, that was Jim, really Jim Gavin, many people would know that he was the uh, has been a very successful football coach for Dublin, Dublin City. GA, uh, yeah, GA football club, um, and one. What was it? Five All Irelands in the row, uh, and I think seven overall. Um, so yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, now I would admit I have to be the first to admit that I don't follow uh, football very closely, but I have been become more interested since uh, since January. Um, so yeah, I was asked uh, by the mayor's office to uh, to. Um, to make a presentation piece for Jim Cavan. Um, so he was being uh, given the accolade of free, Freedom of the City of Dublin. He was the uh, 80, I think 81st person to ever receive it, maybe 83rd, I can't remember. But anyway, it was, 
It was a, it's, it's a very um, prestigious award to receive. Oh, wow. It's a recognition cool. of career. And uh, yeah, career career achievement recognition. Now, part of the um, the medieval law around the freedom of the city of Dublin is that every freeman of the city needs to furnish themselves with a bow, uh, with a bow and arrows, and also a mail coat and uh, a sword and shield or something like that. Uh, yeah. So that's the, so basically to be ready to defend the city. Now that's obviously defunct at this point in terms of uh, defence of the city, but yeah. yeah, it is still on the statute or well, part of the uh, agreement. And so it was taken quite seriously by Paul Orcliffe, the the the, the, the mayor at the time, uh, the the archery element, and uh, he commissioned me to make uh, what you can see in some of those pictures there from uh, the the mayor. The Mayor's Award, Freedom of the City, Jim Gavin. Um, so I made a, I made a, I made a, a full compass war bow, except it was miniature. I made it in miniature, and I, I and I made it in the Dublin colours as well. So the two blues are on the handle, uh, and I made it roughly the length of an arrow. The arrow is like full size arrow, uh, in in the case with the two pieces together, and the bow was made to match it in size roughly. Yeah, so when it was strung, as you can see, it's strung in the case there. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it was made in miniature and it was like, actually, it was fair, it was doing things like attaching the knocks, which is the tips to the bow, the horn, horn, horn sheaths over the tips of the bow, uh, actually yeah. took roughly the same amount of time on a miniature bow or maybe even slightly longer than it does on a full size bow, because, uh, you know, the job is the job and you've got to do it the same way. So I did that. So it's like a cone on the end of the bow and a, and a, tapered uh, uh, hole drawn drilled into the uh, into the horn and then they're glued together and then shaped on the bow so that's part of the process of making it now obviously not all of it took that took the same amount of time as a full-size bow because it's a lot less material to work with but i made a few uh, uh, there was the one you see in the picture is the one that made it there was a few others that i did as test pieces and some of them didn't even survive so there's a few small bits of kindling uh <laughs> knocking around which <laughs> which were part of that process. So, yeah, so to present the, the bow, um, it was presented to uh, Jim Gavin by the mayor, and uh, and there's all sorts of great pictures from that, and it was a, a really nice event to be invited to. I was actually invited to go up to the event as well. There you are, there. And, uh, yeah, there. So that, the, <laughs> there's a picture that's just come up in front there, and it's uh, it's me in my medieval clothing with um, on one side, and Jim Gavin uh, holding one of my full-size bows and arrows, and he's about to launch it. What, probably over at over at the uh, 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 <laughs> at the Doyle or something like that. No, it's uh, the, the, <laughs> the mansion house backs onto it. It's in the same part. And so, and then on the and then there's Paul Auckland, the mayor, holding the uh, the presentation piece. Now, I, he he he's uh, yeah with his chain on. It's a mighty picture. Now I'm probably showing Jim something really technical that he didn't need to even bother with at the time, but for the picture, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks. That looks really Did cool. he pull it back? Did, was he able to pull it back? Somewhat, yeah. Uh, that one, that one's a heavy 110 pounder, so I, I think he'd have to train up to it, perhaps, to to draw it all away. But he definitely yeah. got some of the pull. Uh, he he drew up a different one. Uh, the lighter, the, some of the other lighter bows that I brought. I brought about three bows with me. Um, wait, maybe that is a lighter one. Anyway, um, yeah, he 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 definitely got a good picture. We we, we all got some good pictures there. Yeah, it was an amazing event to be part of, and uh, quite. A, oh yeah, also the free freeman of the city, or free freedom of the city grants any uh, recipient the uh, 
the right to graze sheep and cows on uh, the parks in Dublin, so St. Stephen's Green and the likes, right. and College Green. And so the, the uh, famous scene done by the Edge and Bono, they brought sheep into, as a stunt, into St. Stephen's Green, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is fun. Yeah, so you also have to defend the city, though, so that's the downside. You might have to <laughs> yeah. go to war against someone attacking the city. Well, hopefully your bow is intact for it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, good luck shooting that tiny one. No, it's a it's a display piece. It was great. It was a really nice event and really nice to be asked. And uh, I actually got some. I got. I was on the news. Apparently, I didn't see it myself. I was on it, which is wow. quite fun. Uh, yeah, uh, TV cool. news and everything. Cameras all. Yeah, it was great. Uh, got. I, I got mentioned in the uh, little uh, um, um, the the pamphlet. You know, the the event uh, as well. Very cool. So the, the literature. Yeah, it was great. Great stuff altogether. Really nice to be invited and uh, commissioned that way. Yeah, so fair play to them, and and fair play to Jim Gavin for all of his uh, achievements through through his career of football coaching. It's such a, it must have been such a good like recognition of your work that the yeah, mayor I, thought of I you. Proud. Yeah, you must have been very proud of like. Oh yeah, and, and I did it as best I possibly could. It was a master spec level. I, I was really careful. I made it right. Yeah. Oh yeah, great stuff. Uh, couldn't couldn't have been pleased. Couldn't have been more pleased. I mean, yeah. yeah. Would you be one of the top bowmakers in Ireland? Um, well, I guess it def def depends how you define top. But uh, if you define yeah. it as the only one, yes. <laughs> no, that's not uh, professionally anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are other people who make bows. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. The competition don't seem to uh, stick around as long as you'd think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there we go. That's definitely what it is. No, um, so as a, as a master bowyer with the Craft Guild of Bowyers and Fletchers, uh, I am the only current master master currently in Ireland. Um, uh, there are other people who make bows, and uh, long bows, uh, but there are none doing it professionally, to my knowledge, uh, you know, as, as a main as their main job. Yeah. So um, that makes you the top one by default. Yeah, well, let's just say, so the short answer is yes. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's other members, other, other bows in the UK who would be Craft Guild members. And there's also people who aren't Craft Guild members who make very nice bows. So um, it don't have to be, yeah, don't have to, well, I could have to oversell it, I suppose. Yeah, yeah so uh, bowyer, though, is tough. <laughs> it's a bit niche, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, wh wh where's the name come from? Like Bowyer? Like I I've never heard of that before. I just like heard of bowmakers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a it it is bowmaker. Yeah, that's that's the description. But the title is a bowyer, so it's someone who makes bows. Um, you uh, yeah, and it's a it's a one of those archaic type part of the archaic lexicon, I suppose. You know, uh, a word that's mostly gone defunct and people don't aren't particularly familiar with, but uh, it is still. You can look it up in a dictionary; it's still there, I do believe, and it does describe what I do in one word, I suppose, so as, as succinctly as possible. Uh, yeah, bowyer. But there's also there are other disciplines around archery as well, and of course the well-known surname Fletcher is is a is a master level discipline. So that would be someone who makes arrows, and that's making the arrow shafts, fletching, putting the fletchings onto them, usually goose feather, and then assembling the head. There's also a, two other disciplines in particular, 
and one of them is the Arrowsmith, who would be a very specialised blacksmith. Or yeah, so so iron or steel worker. Well, yeah, mostly iron worker, but he's uh, medium and high carbon steel depend occasionally for certain applications in arrowhead making. So arrowhead making is a massively technical and detailed skill. Great. And it had to be made by the th hundreds of thousands in in various eras through history, uh, especially medieval era. And then there's the the the, but the least talked about but <laughs> integral part of a bow is the stringers. The Guild of Stringers. There's a stringers uh, uh, part of the, of the traditional craft guild of Bowers and Fletchers. And uh, they, they could have their own guild, but there aren't enough members, so they're sort of part of the Bowers Guild uh, and the Fletchers Guild. So um, they're all um, crafts that were practiced uh, in medieval times in particular, uh, recognized as guilds, and then those guilds gradually morphed into what became the Worshipful Companies. Uh, and so there are worshipful companies of bowers and fletchers and stringers and, and smiths and all these other ones and basket weavers and butchers. Um, yeah. And they are the ones who are uh, a bit of the London, the London livery companies is what they become today. And they elect to the uh, Lord Mayor of London. Anyway, um, that's in the UK and that's where the guild is based. Uh, I'm the only member of the guild in Ireland at the moment. Master member. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was trained by my master, Don Adams, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, in Roscommon, where he lived, so he moved to to Ireland. Uh, uh, what was it now? Well, a while a few, about fifteen years ago now, and uh, he was he retired, and uh, I I was lucky enough to become his apprentice for four years, as we were talking about a little bit earlier on, and uh, that's how that's how I came to be. I was already in Ireland, and then I took up the craft when I was over here, uh, and then eventually got qualified. Yeah, so that's how that all sort of played out. Uh, yeah, so uh, there, are, yes, uh, the master bowyer, yeah, that's me anyway. Bow and <laughs> the term, it's a it's a strange one. And uh, just just Thomas has uh, the space thing on there, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like uh, cancelled, it's been postponed until tomorrow because the weather's too bad over there in Florida. Ah, uh, I know, right? Well, what, what I was gonna say is, pardon. You could send them some of our weather. It's been very good over here. <laughs> yeah, it actually like could, yeah. That. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Oh, that's a shame, so they postponed that. No, it's raining over there in Florida. It's mad, isn't it? Considering the weather in the last few days here has been all sun and it's just it's been lovely, hasn't it? Yeah, we took but their weather. In, sorry, if you but... take out the windstorm, it's like the last two months it's been pretty good overall. Yeah, yeah amazing stuff. It's perfect, uh, what's it, leaving cert weather, as they call it, don't they? Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're stuck in a classroom study more. No. Is that, that's quite a, it's a double-edged sword, that one, isn't it? It's like, you've been it preparing is. for it, but also you don't have to do it, so, yeah. <laughs> a bit yeah, like well, the DOE, yeah? <laughs> I just found out, <laughs> no, it's nothing like the DOE, I'm just joking. But I did find out today that my DOE uh, was up and was due in the end of April, but now they've, uh, because that fell within the lockdown period, um, they won't even test it until at least at the earliest, the beginning of July, the end of July. So I've got three extra months on my DOE on my van, oh, man. which That's is, good. you know, oh, see the see the bright side. I yeah, a bit handy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I get yeah, yeah, it's great, but you know, this comes with a price. The prices can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I think that. We covered all things. Would you guys agree? I think 
It's been a very oh, look, interesting podcast. Surface, if we're honest. <laughs> <laughs> Come book That's into a course. Reference. Come to buy a bow, and then we'll see where we get on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you have so, plenty of bows, but do you definitely need a longbow in your life? I'd say. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get one off eventually. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> so, where can people find you? Uh, and how, well, how can um, people get in I'm, contact with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram as living.longbows, which I do kind of post on regular, fairly regularly. Um, Facebook is um, uh, Facebook slash Living Longbows is the page. Uh, then also you can get me on the website, although that is, I will say, a work in progress. So um, I, the progress is slow. So the website is there. It does come up, but uh, I need to keep things up to, up to date a bit more. Um, so bear with me on that one. So, yeah, I guess. Um, and also livinglongbows at gmail.com for the email. If you've got specific questions or orders you'd like to is put in. Yeah. Twitter still active? Twitter? Oh, no. Don't, don't talk That's to me about right. Twitter. <laughs> no, no, no. There, but I don't have it on my phone. That's right. <laughs> I've deleted the app. <laughs> but maybe I should do that again. But I just couldn't ever get in, get get the hang of it. So maybe I should just get rid of it altogether. But it's not there. So Instagram, email, uh, website—that's the, the main ones. So livinglongbows at gmail dot com, living dot longbows on Instagram, and livinglongbows.com for the website. There now. <laughs> that's, that's a bit bad. That's what lockdown does. If you go scrolling down, you see uh, a post from the 23rd of May, and there's a strange face looking out at you with some crazy hair, and that was me. Yeah. Uh, but that, I was, I, do you know what I'm doing there? Uh, I'm, I'm re removing the sapwood from the back of a piece of you that if you look at the pictures there there's a, a picture of the bit of timber and the timber you can, you can just about see the, t the different colors of the sapwood one as i'm in the process of moving s some layers to expose the, the final layer that i want to be on the back of the bow so it's not the one that's below beneath the bark it's like maybe 12 layers below that that i've the one i've mm -hmm. come down to depending on the piece you know some some you grows with thick sapwood some grows a very thin sapwood and you can uh, if it's very thick you have to reduce it so that's what i was doing in that particular post and uh, from the 23rd of may which definitely jumps out at you because it's got a weird crazy face yeah staring into my soul yeah <laughs> that's how you get their attention <laughs> yeah so <that's... laughs> oh, oh it definitely was nothing to do with wine involved in that picture taken to that picture well definitely. that's not true now because yeah. you can actually see the bottle of wine right there pal yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that was late late in the evening after uh, one of the days in the workshop. So I'm still I am still making stock uh, and that's for sale again when I when this all when I'm able to sell it again properly. So uh, uh, yeah, the workshop is in a, in a sort of a, in my own way it's, uh, it's carrying on a bit, you know, it's like not being able to make the sales as much yeah that's the trouble anyway so that's uh, that's current stuff hopefully what this this could be oh yeah so you there's a few other pictures on the instagram of some tasty uh, interesting bespoke things i've done recently that one of which is much. a bolt nox top and bottom limb and then a lightning bolt arrow plate as well for a left-handed archer um uh, that's uh, it's all done in horn and you wouldn't think it to look at it you think it's plastic i guess 
well, one could be forgiven for thinking that's plastic, but it's not. It's horn from so that's um, ox horn or Southeast Asian water buffalo one. It's very, it's very uh, beautiful. Black stuff is. Yeah, it's come out really well. Very pleased with how they came out. I sort of uh, used, uh, yeah, well, a lightning bolt inspiration is what the guy wanted for that. So it's a very much customized job, and uh, it's very specific to that bow. Uh, other options and the similar ones are available. This is what takes a lot of time though to make make them to make something different from what the standard is the normal is uh, they, they take more thinking and more laying out and finding the right material for it as well uh, sometimes i can take extra time but it's definitely it jumps out imagine seeing that on on an archery range and in someone's hand and going oh look at that that's tasty that looks different different to what other things look like um, <laughs> they ask where'd you yeah, get it from so, got it from Jack Vincent, and they go check you out and then sales yeah. <laughs> well, hey, and that's the big <laughs> the business and how and how we all look after each other by shopping locally, right? And from local yep. craftspeople, as exactly. much as we possibly can. That's my take on things. I know we ship things in as well, but you know, I'm here. I make stuff, and I'm happy to provide it to people. Well, Jack, oh, yeah. it was really nice talking to you, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me on, guys. For getting all these good questions and winkling out the information, because like sometimes I don't know what I've got to say. Uh, and uh, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Don't worry about it. I shall listen to more of your podcasts as we go forward. Hey! <laughs> I'll like them if even if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> <Of course. laughs> right. All right then. Cheers. So yep, yeah, everyone make sure to like, comment, subscribe, and tell your grandma about the podcast. Take your handy. <laughs>